All right, what's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Stack Strength Podcast. This is Daniel DeBrock, the lovely host. Yeah! Um, <laughs> so I'm sitting down with, uh, with, with someone who's actually pretty cool. She's been on the podcast before, Miriam Marashi. And um, we're going to be talking about uh, fat shaming and just kind of the fitness culture around that whole, you know, body acceptance sort of movement that's been going on. I've been finding that incredibly interesting. And uh, I guess, Miriam, for, for people who aren't familiar with you and maybe you haven't listened to the previous episode, um, can you give a little bit of an introduction of yourself? Sure. So my name is Miriam. I'm, I guess I'm a second year now, second year PhD student at the University of Toronto. Um, my research is mainly interested in the intersection of body image and exercise. I'm particularly interested in strength training and women's positive body image, um, but more broadly focusing on mental health and exercise. Some of the like more recent projects that I'm currently a part of or in the midst of helping to get off the ground include examining differences in positive body image in women who either engage in resistance training or those who don't, looking at predictors of activity and food tracking in young adults, um, examining body image experiences in elite women athletes. So very interested in, in body image and previously more focused on just exercise and, and mental health. And I'm also a fitness trainer and, and nutrition coach. So that's where uh, I have my connection here with Daniel. Yeah, so this is, um... I guess I think both of our, our podcasts actually have been kind of spurred on just by like some of the, the conversation that we've had based on some of the things that I posted. So Miriam always kind of comes back at me with like, I wouldn't even say a counter argument because I feel like we kind of align on a lot of the things that we believe. But maybe so. A little bit more nuanced than I am. I'm a little bit more of like a chainsaw. Straight shooter. Like Daniel's choosing violence today. Like. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I guess it's it's just part of my personality. Honestly, is like yeah, even just culturally, true. like Canadians in general, I find are very like That's kind so of nice. passive. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I'll say one thing. Actually, they're polite. They're not nice. They are polite. Polite. Um, yeah. But like to a detriment, arguably yeah. to, or, yeah. But arguably I, I, think I sometimes can kind of go in the opposite direction where like I'm just very blunt, and people will be like, "Whoa!" I'm like what like I didn't even think that was very like bad you know but like the European in you yeah exactly right so so I, I think this will be a really interesting conversation but um one of the things that I wanted to uh to, to discuss was I mean even just kind of a better understanding of what fat shaming actually is and what shaming is in general because from the research that I've seen it is a bit nebulous and mm -hmm at least how it's being applied and how it's being discussed kind of in broader fitness circles definitely to me seems like there's a bit of a disconnect between what's being claimed and what we actually do know about uh, people's response to maybe negative associations or negative projections of body image and things like that and so um i guess why don't you just kind of take it from there and, and start wherever you feel is 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 pertinent yeah i think that's a good place to start too because if you're going to talk about something that's important that we like almost have a working definition of it like that's usually the first step when you're conducting research and especially in like social sciences and psychology where we have all these like you said nebulous concepts or constructs and you kind of have to if, if a researcher is going to have a discussion with another researcher on a topic they need to be able to come to a conclusion on what the heck they're even talking about and if it's the same thing um so i think that's important 
to be quite honest with you, body shaming is something that doesn't really have a formal definition. It is something that we kind of use colloquially. It's certainly a hot topic right now on social media, but, um, and in the fitness industry as a whole, but when I was like parsing through the literature, cause again, this is not my specific area of expertise. It's a little bit more like at arm's length, um, but kind of just doing a little poke around, like what the heck is even body shaming? What's the definition? There was like a recent study, like really recent, like 2021, it was published, um, kind of exploring its definition and like its classification. Like what does it actually mean when someone is using this term? And they kind of came to this conclusion that it's an unrepeated action in which a person expresses unsolicited, mostly negative opinions or comments about the target's body, which can take place both in real life or in social media contexts. And as the term suggests, it's it's referencing um, the person's appearance um, or the body of the target is central to, to the um, idea of body shaming. And one of the things that was interesting in this study is that they also mentioned that body shaming doesn't necessarily intend to harm the victim, right? It doesn't intend to harm the person. Um, and it may also arise from like well-meant advice. So like medically based advice from a friend. And they use this, this uh, example, like you should reduce your weight to prevent high blood pressure. And I thought, there's the contention, right? Like there's that piece of contention that Daniel was referring to. It's like, at what point do we cross the line? What point does it become shaming? And it can be so subjective, right? It, it really depends on like the person the on the receiver's receiving end, like how they are perceiving this statement. Because what, again, going at cross-cultural differences, what I might perceive to be shameful or shaming might not be shaming to you. And so how do we de determine, I guess, best practices or guidelines for somebody who's interested in avoiding shaming, right? Avoiding harming someone without knowing it. So that's kind of what I've come to, in my mind, grapple with. Like what is, at what point do we cross the line? And especially as a fitness coach, as somebody who is working with people, I, and I coach group classes, I work one-on-one -on -one with people and I work with people in their nutrition and most people come with body image concerns and concerns around their body. And so their body is the topic of discussion when we're talking to each other. So how do I, as a practitioner, avoid language that might, you know, cause harm? Right, what what line is is there to be crossed? So I think that's uh, a kind of a, a place to start. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. But. Yeah, I, I I definitely do, and I I think this is sort of exactly what I've been grappling with as well. Because it's like, you know, if you go out and you're like, oh, you're a fat piece of shit, like, yeah, that's gonna have a negative effect. Like, that sucks, you know. Yeah. But. I also think that sometimes things are kind of being pulled into the the sphere of, you know, body shaming, fat shaming, whatever, maybe don't necessarily belong, or at least need to be kind of subcategorized, if that makes sense, you know, like, there's a big distinction between, like, a partner saying, hey, you need to lose some body weight to improve your health, versus maybe a medical doctor, like, mm -hmm. how that's going to be taken could be massively different just like you were saying right and even even like you're saying cross-culturally so like for me like i went to visit my grandma 
pre-COVID. I remember this story. Yeah, exactly. And like, she sees me and this was back when I was like 290 and like, yeah, I was fat, whatever. (laughs) But like, and she grabs my stomach like I was pregnant. She's like, oh, you're disgusting. You need, you need to lose weight. My boy, you're so fat. You're so fat. And I'm like, she's like, you need to lose weight and be healthy. And like, you know, no woman's going to love you. My girlfriend's standing right behind me, obviously. Um, And, but the thing is like, that doesn't mean the same thing it does here. And I know we already kind of talked about this previously, but I'm saying it for maybe people who didn't hear that, that episode, um, you know, she means it out of like love and care. That's actually a sign of her caring about me, mm-hmm. you know, whereas here it's interpreted very differently. You know, even a friend of mine, uh, Gabby, you know, we kind of talked, uh, do you know Gabby? I remember the episode. I listened to it. Yeah. So she yeah. was talking about how like, her her grandma or something like that calls her like you know uh, gorda, which is like you know chubby, kind of chubby yeah. yeah, you know. But it's like it's like a term of endearment, you know. Yeah. And so it's like culturally these things mean different things, and then mm-hmm. even individual to individual within the same culture, and then even potentially I would suspect gender to gender is going to be yes. different. So a male versus a female and how those are being interpreted could potentially be pretty different, um, and so like that's where I think a lot of the conversation is sort of lacking where it's like, we're making these really definitive claims. And at least from the research that I've seen, I'm obviously not a subject matter expert, but from what I've seen and what people are talking about, there seems to be a pretty wide gap in terms of like the level of confidence that's being exuded when these statements and claims are being made. And so like one of the things that I wonder is, you know, obviously there is a point where it becomes detrimental and where it becomes mm-hmm. harmful, counterproductive, and may even uh, kind of contribute to the problem of overweight obesity, make them just feel worse and kind of go like that. Yeah. But there must also be a point where doing that or not doing that actually is equally or even potentially more mm-hmm. harmful, you know, or I, I won't even say more. I'll just say potentially could be equally as harmful, equally. right? Yeah. Because it's like, you know, if the way I see it is sort of like, you know, if you tell a kid, hey, you know, you can't have dessert every single meal, they're going to cry, they're going to be angry, they're going to be whatever, but they're going to grow up and they're going to have good habits, you know? Right. So it's like the short-term suffering for long-term gain. And, and that's sort of like the, the push bowl thing that yeah. keeps playing in my head. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's the long-term benefit to them versus the long-term detriment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and obviously it's going to be different from person to person, but I mean, that's sort of like where, where I kind of am, am jumping off in this conversation. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I, like what research and like the research that you've read, is it particularly looking at shaming like others? Yes. So it okay. was, oh, I guess, these are things that I've read a while ago, and so unfortunately, right. I don't super fresh in my head. But essentially, Just curious because like I, I would love to to look more into that. It, it was regarding like the relationship between um, <laughs> uh, health professionals and their clients. So not necessarily like coaches, okay. but you know, probably coaches, medical doctors, people just kind of mm. in the fitness sphere. And one of the things that it was looking at was. Um, I guess the communication that existed between client and and practitioner and how that impacted their their level of motivation and adherence was the big one. And okay. it seemed like, you know, a more negative evaluation of an individual's physical appearance 
seem to have a negative impact on their intrinsic motivation to continue the intervention. And so th those that's the kind of research that I've seen is more okay. along the line saying that has a negative effect on adherence um, and self-efficacy and things like that. So that's okay. kind of what I've seen. But again, this isn't something that I've really, really dived deep into. I've seen more literature that I do feel like has some sort of adjacent um, benefit. Like, um, so things like, uh, you know, coaching, coaching and cueing on, on an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. so, you know, you look at the differences between beginners versus intermediate and advanced. And if you look at a, a, a novice athlete, they actually perform better if you give them uh, more positive reinforcement, mm -hmm. you know, and just like, hey, you're doing great. You know, I want you to try doing this. You're doing such a good job at, you know, yeah. triple extension, but I want you to think about getting those elbows up a little bit higher, like just really motivating yeah. stuff, not a lot Building of like physical self-literacy and self-efficacy. Yeah, that's exactly. Whereas yeah. more advanced athletes actually do much better and prefer more direct criticism, Yeah. right? And so to me, what that says is like, that obviously doesn't translate directly into the whole fat shaming thing. But what it does suggest mm -hmm. to me is that not only are there differences in terms of how people internalize things, but there's differences depending on your own level and how far mm -hmm. you are into, let's say, quote unquote, your fitness journey or whatever it might be and, and how those things are going to be interpreted. And I mean, that's exactly like what you were saying earlier, but I guess I just see this kind of everywhere, not just in this one area. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah. I'm wondering how much of that actually translates to the area of body image, fat shaming, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it sounds like what you're getting at here is the level at which, like the level at which someone internalizes their appearance or the way someone views their appearance as either being a part of their, okay, let's frame this in this way. How much of your self-worth is determined by your appearance is probably going to almost dictate whether or not you take these sort of comments to be harmful. Um, so like if you can remove your appearance from you know your sense of self-worth, your inherent self-worth and how you view yourself as a person, like you know, you might have a very broad identity. You're a coach, you're an athlete, you all sorts of things about yourself that you, you know, you view in a positive way might kind of help you counteract some of the negative valuations that you might get get from your parents but if someone has low levels of self-esteem and doesn't have that broad concept of their identity and this is what we see a lot in women women do derive more of their self-worth from their appearance more, more so than men on average which is partially and probably why they're um you know they might be more negatively affected by some of these comments so looking at differences between individuals if somebody is deriving a lot of their worth from their appearance then and you get that sense that they are then perhaps talking about their body is not going to be helpful to them it might actually hinder um you know if the goal is to help them achieve more especially in our domain if we're trying to help people you know exercise more or eat healthier then using that sort of language for somebody who has low perceptions of themselves might not be helpful, but somebody who has like a strong sense of self might not take those, those comments to heart, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily say like you need to remove um, your physical appearance from, from sense of identity or value no. self or whatever, because you know, it, like, it can't be removed. 
Yeah, okay. I, I don't think it can be. It's okay, yeah. in every model of of self, and I'm doing a lot of, right now for my comps readings, a lot of it is like, what is the self? Like my, mm -hmm. my fiance, who's like an engineer, he's like, this is such bullshit. Why are you, like, what is this stuff that you're reading? What is the self? <laughs> um, but it's like, what is the self? And like, what, how do people define who they are? And over and over again, in every single model, appearance eats up like all the variants. Mm -hmm. So even without people realizing it, their appearance does matter to them, but we can broaden our identities. So if you do have yeah. other things going on in your life, that can help you focus less on your appearance and that can make those appearance related comments mean less to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, I totally agree with that. And so one of the things um, as well that I kind of found interesting was this was this was an article I wrote maybe a year or two ago and it was on body composition. But one of the, one of the papers that I found was looking at um, secure self-esteem versus insecure self-esteem in bodybuilding athletes actually so mm -hmm. these people are basically the pinnacle of what you would aspire to look like you know and yet there is a marked difference in terms of their actual um their esteem because they they got a lot of their sense of self-worth from their physique however at that level it's almost like this hyper obsessive point you know they're like oh my god like i'm losing definition i'm blah, and and so I, I wonder how much of that just kind of scales. Obviously, like if you look good, you're going to have less people commenting in a negative fashion. You know what I mean? If you're, mm -hmm. if you're leaner, more muscular, things like that, you're going to have less people commenting. So it's probably going to be a lot less apparent that you actually have this sort of, you know, discrepancy between your sense of self-worth and where you might need to develop. Um, but I just found it interesting that it was also apparent in individuals who, um, who, who do have, you know, this kind of ideal, meet the ideal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily about meeting the ideal, right? It's how you perceive yourself well, right? exactly. to meet the ideal or not yeah. that is, that eats up all the variants and all the body image models that we look at when we look at the relationship between exercise and body image, what predicts whether or not exercise can help your body image is not the objective changes in your body. It's a very small amount of, of variance that is contributing to that, but it's how you perceive your fitness, how you perceive your body related changes that matter the most. So if somebody, somebody could be like Barbie doll or GI Joe and not like, you know, basically the, the hallmark of what our culture considers beautiful mm -hmm. and still not, view themselves that way and have poor body image yeah absolutely and i think that's where it becomes a lot more complex right because i think if we were just to kind of isolate the conversation say okay you know an individual with a bmi of 39 and over or something like that and you know it's pretty easy to understand how some of these comments can have a negative effect but then if you start kind of maybe looking at some other characteristics i guess maybe in isolating certain traits in in other areas then it's like oh okay well if it's your perception, then how the fuck do we navigate that? Because how, how do I read your mind, you know? Yeah. And then I think you have a pretty good um, sort of rule of thumb for that, that, you know, you can obviously feel free to share. But then from like a, I don't know, yeah. I guess from like just a one-on-one -on -one interaction standpoint, or maybe you're in a group setting or certain things like that, it's still is a little bit difficult for me to to kind of like square that circle, 
you know? Yeah, of, yeah. Of especially like, if you're in the context of exercise where everyone's like, look mm -hmm. at my muscles, like, look what I, you know, or they yeah. want you, they kind of invite that, right? It's it's about your body and the body, your body's function and your body's appearance. And so, you know, if you're in that environment, then why wouldn't you comment on your friend's sick triceps if you see, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like it's, <laughs> you would feel yeah. rude not to, right? So I, I run into that dilemma all the time with my nutrition clients. Like sometimes I'm training them in a class and I'm like, I see the definition in their shoulders and like, I want to tell them, but I also don't want to draw attention, like they're working out and yeah. I don't want to draw attention to the way they look because kind of coming back to when you're, you know, we were talking about how these individuals who are like the pinnacle of beauty, according to our cultural standards are not necessarily getting negative evaluations, but even positive evaluations brings attention to your body, right? It's, it's, it's self-conscious, right? It, like it makes yeah. you self-conscious. You realize, oh, people are looking at me. Like, I'm just trying to work out this person's looking at my triceps, right? So it's, yes, they're probably deriving positive emotions from that experience of you telling them their triceps look good, but they're also now aware, they're self-aware that like people are looking at their appearance, right? And that can kind of draw away, like if she's performing a squat, like she should be focusing on her internal functioning, not how her, I don't know, her shoulders look or whatever, right? So mm -hmm. I have to kind of bite my tongue sometimes because in one end, I want them to feel like they're making progress towards their goals but on the other end i don't want to draw too much attention to their body because i don't want them to think that like that's what i think is important right to, to them as a person yeah and with that line to again that's another one for me that i really struggle with because on the one hand i'm like i do get that like i, I genuinely do um because i'm someone who's been incredibly skinny skinny fat very fat like Peel, been all like over the map. 8%, 8% body fat, and like jacked and shredded. And then I'm at where I'm at right now, you know, which is like kind of somewhere in between. And so I do get those criticisms. Like I understand because I remember like vividly what it was like when I would receive some of those criticisms. I guess I wonder again where that sort of balance is between like, is this like, level of i don't even know kindness but maybe like conscientious or cautiousness is this level of cautiousness productive or detrimental you know mm -hmm. because on the one hand i would and again this is i'll just be like um very very straight up about this this is something that i just kind of like speculating on it's not anything that i have like research on or whatever i just mm -hmm. want to make it clear to the listeners part of me is like when you're in an environment like let's say like my gym environment, the strength edge, a lot of really strong athletes. Everyone there is very strong, very serious about their training. You can go in there and be pretty damn intimidated. Like the first day that I walked in, I literally opened the door and right in front of me is a guy unracking 805 to squat. That was my first day that I walked in there. And I was You're like, I'm a weak dude. little. <laughs> Instantly I was emasculated. I was like, oh man, I'm such a pussy. You know? And, and so it's like, even for me, like I'm a decent lifter and that was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is just a casual day, you know? And so I can get that level of intimidation, but at the same time, you know, you can be like, oh man, I'm having kind of a negative experience and things I'm feeling sort of insecure. I don't know if this is the right environment for me and you can leave and you might be right about that or you can stay and maybe it's you know the the continued exposure 
sort of makes that whole stigma wear off after a little while. Now, maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. And that's sort of like that balance that for me, I try and find because I've definitely noticed that like in the fitness space, virtue signaling is just like, that's the thing to do. I think that's everywhere right? though. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Oh, I guess I'm, because I'm only talking about- You're in the fitness space. Yeah, yeah. And that's your yeah. your domain, yeah. So it's like, I just, like if you post a video with stretch marks showing and you're like, look at me, I'm normal. You're gonna get tons of likes and tons of support. You might get a couple comments that are like just really shitty, but you're gonna get overwhelming support because that's just sort of how the fitness industry is is going, right? Yeah. And and it's like, at what point does that become, okay, now we're just coddling. Now this isn't productive, now we're coddling. Versus the other side where it's just like, people are just being dicks unnecessarily and they're like, oh, you just need to toughen up. And it's like, man, some people actually do just need a break because they're actually going through shit that's really effective. And, yeah. and it's that sort of dichotomy that's that's there. And this is one of the reasons why I find this conversation so interesting is because, you know, I think people talk about this as if it's this very clear cut, like we have the answer, this is what it is. Yeah. All the times it's like just self-selection, like the people who are gonna be really attracted to David Goggins, you know, they're all gonna be like, no, you just have to work for it and do it. That's what I did. And it's like, yeah, but you're drawn to a guy like that. Like that's that's me. That's my personality, you know, but I also coach a ton of people. I've coached lots and lots of women with eating disorders who mm -hmm. have very si significant like body image issues uh, previously. And so I know the reverse side of that as well. Mm -hmm. So where, where is that sort of balance? And I guess like, I'd be interested to hear your perspective, like a ton on this is where are the blind spots in the fitness industry where, you know, we might actually be doing more harm than good. Yeah. You know, and, and how do we need to have a little bit more of a balanced conversation about this so people aren't maybe so polarized? I yeah, <laughs> it's such a big and I don't have the answer, like just to be very forward about that. But I love I, this is something I think about a lot. And it's something that, you know, I think Steffi Cohen actually posted something yesterday or the day before really talking about how she's part of the problem. Not, you know, not saying she's the problem, but like talking about like yeah. just gaining a self-awareness that you know we are no matter what we are influencers in our own right even if it's yeah. to a small portion of people even if you have like, whether you have a million followers a thousand followers five thousand followers what have you people are still reading and interpreting your content in whichever way and being influenced by it and so i think I had a discussion the other day with a friend and it was actually relating to one of the posts that you posted as one of her friends, she had commented on it. And we were talking about this idea of like, I think you were talking about whether someone is responsible or not for the content that they put out on social media mm. relating to fitness. And yeah. I think that your, your stance and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it isn't their responsibility. It's the, it's the individual who's consuming the content to be responsible for A, the content they're consuming, but B, how they respond to that content. Mm -hmm. And so this is somewhere that, you know, it's kind of get into like the ethics portion of social media and fitness media. And there is really no holds bar right now or currently on what you can put out there other than like, of course, if it's like very explicit content or, you know, like explicitly harassing someone, but for the most part, you can post your opinions and whatever. So you have an influence on people, whether you like it or not. And how much of that is our responsibility as fitness professionals 
I don't know. That that depends on your perspective. I think I fall more towards the side of like we do have an ethical responsibility to try our best to put out content that isn't a isn't polarizing and isn't like you know one side or the other like super extreme, but B isn't isn't going to be interpreted by people as shaming or um, stigmatizing um, or you know leading them to have internalized thoughts about themselves that could lead to unhealthy behaviors like disordered eating or impulsive exercise and etc. And in the past, we just didn't have that sort of ethical discussion, right? People, social media was so new and people were just putting out content that's got eyeballs and money. And, but now I think people are starting to become more aware of the potential negatives and the potential drawbacks of some of the, the content that we're, I'm not, I'm saying we, I don't produce a lot of content, but that pe people are putting out there. And so there are costs and benefits to anything, right? Like, the stuff that has been put out, a lot of it has done so much good for people. I know that for me, I, you know, I'm so grateful for the exposure that I've had to the fitness industry and to strength training. And I mean, I'm studying it. So I wouldn't have been here without social media, I don't think. But at the same time, I also recognize that we're new to this world and that we are going to make mistakes. and There are going to be problems that come from the content that we're producing. And it is our responsibility to try and pivot if we're finding that there is something that isn't optimal and try and optimize as much as we can right we can't completely get rid of any harm that might occur but we can try and mitigate it at least and so i think that the discussions are happening and that's a good start but you know to answer your question of how we can reconcile you know fitness and making people feel good about themselves i don't know like what the answer to that is but i think this you know having these discussions is a good start and being able to be self-aware that the content that i produce could have potential negative influence on people and that let's do our best to not create polarizing and stigmatizing and shaming content to, as much as possible and yeah, yeah. that's kind of I, where i, I would start you have a really good answer to be honest because it's like you know the only, I guess, I, I agree with like probably ninety nine percent. The only, <laughs> I guess, the only, the only thing that I would add would just be do your best to, you know, not create unnecessary pain, suffering, whatever. Because a little bit sometimes actually is necessary, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Hundred percent. It, it's yeah. like that's again, that's not me being like pointing fingers and being like you fat piece of shit. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. hey, this is a fact, you know, if you are obese, your risk of diabetes and blah, blah, blah goes up like that. That's a, that's sort of like a, a necessary maybe discomfort, you know, um, I would say. But yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And it's funny because like the reason why I, I would have to say like there are certain things that I feel very, very strongly on. I'm very libertarian. Um, and I think that the moment we start to kind of go down that path of censorship that's i think ultimately that's a way worse option than some people maybe having their feelings hurt and that's one of the reasons why i still kind of say hey it's on it's on the user you know mm -hmm. i still i guess my my behavior i would say maybe some people disagree 
I, I don't necessarily go out there to be like, hey, I'm going to try and offend people. You know, I try and just put out yeah. good content and do whatever. And maybe sometimes, you know, it, it, it does harm some people or whatever. They, they interpret it as like an attack on them. Or, or, and, and that's fair. You know, I, I, but that's never necessarily like my intention. Um, like even to this day, I've never really called, I don't really call people out. I always call out like bad information. Ideas. Because, yeah. yeah. Because it's like, there's, there's a lot of people who like put out great content. But then there's certain areas of what they do where I'm just like, oh my God, I fucking hate you so much, you know? And, but the thing is like, I guarantee I've done that. I've done that a million times, you know? And, and so like, I'm totally fine with people calling out bad ideas that I have and, and I'm fine with calling out bad ideas, but I'm never intending to like attack an individual, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that in my behavior, I try and do those things that you were suggesting to the best of my ability. Anyways, sometimes I think so too. Like but I've been enjoying the sarcastic uh, yeah, Danielism the lately. <laughs> the, the best way to attract just women. Fuck, yeah, just go fuck your whole life up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about that is that, like, a lot of those things I say them, but they're so outrageous that you're like, okay, he's joking. But at the same time, it's like people are actually doing this stuff. You know, like yeah. people actually do this stuff. And I've honestly, it's funny because actually like, so I saw this post you, you were talking about, about Steffi Cohen, the one where she was wearing the red bikini or whatever. I believe that was it. Um, yeah, it was just like selfies. And she was talking about yeah. um, the role that the fitness industry might play. And, or no, she was talking about the less, is fitness of the lesser evil for women. And that's yeah. something that I grapple with as well as somebody yeah. who's, you know, trying to use strength training to help women, you know, foster more positive body image. What are the potential downsides to that? Like, are we creating another ideal in and of itself that could be harmful? So that was the topic that she was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, she, she was actually the one who kind of got me interested in all this. Cause when she was going through her whole, like, I mean, she's still doing it, I guess the last time we spoke anyways, but like, um, she, she's been doing this whole thing of like, Hey, like, you know, is this lewd or is this just me expressing my appreciation for my body and like her own kind of, you know, self transformation discovery um, process, which has been really interesting. But that to me has really, that kind of kicked this off for me. The whole, like the dynamic between male and female um, in the gym, uh, you know, the, the whole like sex component, the, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just find everything about like the social interactions between men and women really interesting. And then I also mm -hmm. find it interesting how these things are sort of like perpetuated in like general circles, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that's sort of said that just isn't true. And there's a lot of stuff that's not said that's definitely true. Like there's like, I, I remember not too long ago, I was watching um, a comedian, you know, and, and it was a female stand up comic and she was really funny, but every now and then there were jokes that I just like, I was like, I kind of get it, but it's not that funny. Meanwhile, my friend, who's a girl, is laughing her ass off. She's like, oh my God, that's so, that's so true. I yeah. totally do that. And I'm like, I'm like, I can I see that guys do yeah. that, but I don't find <laughs> it that funny. Meanwhile, the reverse, right? Like I hear a comedian who's like says something about a girl, I'm like, oh my God, women totally do, you know. And there's just And I'm like rolling my eyes, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's just something about that lived experience, you know, on either side that's just so incredibly interesting. And I think we're getting way off topic now, but that's okay. I know. Um right. but 
I think that that does also play into this thing because, you know, women obviously like, even from like a social standpoint, value the appearance, like you were saying, a lot more than, than men or yeah. tend to internalize it a lot more than men. Whereas men, probably what they value is a little bit more like things that relate to their status within the social system. Yeah. Body know? function. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, just seeing that dynamic is really interesting. And I don't know, I just find everything about these conversations just super interesting because it's not something that I know a ton on. I just kind of have a lot of like sort of presuppositions or like mm -hmm. opinions maybe. And so every time but it's relevant, it's relevant to you, even though, you know, you're a strength coach, we're still like the subject of the conversation is our body. Right. Yeah. So like, it's something that we shouldn't ignore if we're fitness trainers. Cause like people come to you 99% of the time, it's not for their health. It's for appearance. It's for function. It's for status. It's for what, what have you. So understanding the processes that drive this, like the emotions, the cognitions and things that go on in people's minds that the reasons they come to you as a coach, I think is in informative and can help you bet be a better practitioner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. So, so what's, what's some advice maybe that you have for individuals who um, maybe don't necessarily think that uh, talking about someone's body, either in a positive or in a negative way is, is detrimental. Like um, why don't, why don't you go over some of that, I guess. So like an individual who thinks there's no negative effect on people who, or that it's not important to talk about these well, things. Or um, I guess I'll reframe the question. That was a little bit poorly phrased. Um, why don't, can, can you just give a little bit of a description of how maybe someone receiving some of that sort of critical feedback or, or something like that might internalize that or what sort of negative effects it could potentially have on them? Okay. So, yeah if if someone is like receiving something okay i'll start with the the negative because that's kind of where we started yeah. off with like body shaming so if you're there are kind of two, i guess two flavors of shaming one is more explicit and the other one's a little bit more implicit a little bit more benign right so explicitly would be less common i think now because I think it's really frowned upon to just like go up to someone and be like, you're fat or you're ugly or whatever, right? Yeah. Whereas that was actually quite normal at one point, believe it or not. I was actually on, on the plane ride home from, from Europe this weekend. I was watching an old movie. It was, I think, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. It was from 1958 uh, with Elizabeth Taylor. And like, I had to stop watching it because like it was just so outdated. And like a lot of the language and stuff they used were just so explicitly like, jarring to me and i just like couldn't relate to it and a lot of it was just like anybody who is like fat or not attractive like they were the bad people and they were annoying and they were like so it was just so explicit like the way they talked about these things and my mom shares a lot of her experience with that as well growing up and you know being a you know a heavier child she was explicitly made fun of and explicitly excluded by her family members by her friends so this sort of explicit teasing i feel like is less common i want to say it's not completely eradicated i'm sure it's still occurs in some circles and especially in like you know on the schoolyard or whatever but it's not as common as it used to be at one point or as normalized as it used to be but still this implicit um negative evaluations or judgments towards other people can be had and they can be well intended right it can be like oh you know i've seen that you 
put on a few pounds. Like maybe you should watch what you're eating. That, that was something that I heard a lot of growing up from my mom who was concerned about me, you know, becoming overweight. Right. And it was all from love. It wasn't from a place of malice. It wasn't from her trying to make me feel bad. It was from her looking out for me, but it can still have negative consequences because now I'm aware that someone is looking at my body is evaluating me and I can go off and try and change my body, which can be positive, but depending on what modes of change or, or I guess, um, the, the types of methods that I'm using to achieve that change, that can be detrimental. So if someone doesn't, if you're just offering unsolicited comments and not providing actual like valuable tools and advice for them as a professional, then you could just be leaving them to feel bad about themselves, which could cause them to engage in disordered eating or, you know, pathological behaviors because they don't have the guidance to change healthily. So that's where it can get kind of sticky. It's like, okay, it's well-intended, but if you're not, if not following up with something of value that can help them, then it could leave them on their own with no resources and kind of, you know, left to, you know, Google how to lose 20 pounds in five days or something stupid like that. Right. So, or silly like that. I don't say stupid because it's, you know, people, there's so much nonsense in the in the dieting world. So like, I don't blame people for falling into those tropes. But it's, um, I think not just being aware that your words without practical and supportive um, offerings can be can can come at a cost. So depending on what your position is, it's almost better to just not be that person to comment on someone's body unless they are coming to you with concern. Like I need help. Can you tell me if I'm on the right path or can you be honest with me about this? I think is, is probably your best bet to avoid potential, you know, negative consequences of being quote, brutally honest about somebody's appearance or whatever it might be. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, I wonder. I wonder why there are differences like that that exist between cultures. Like, obviously, you know, cultural differences. But what are? I'm wondering, like, what the specific things are that create an environment that sort of cultivates these differences in terms of like disordered eating behavior, mm -hmm. body image issues. Um, you know whether this word is correct or not, let's just say a heightened sensitivity to, to criticisms that are based on body image or something like that. You know, or maybe it's not necessarily a heightened sensitivity, but whatever, like the outgrowths of that, you know, are definitely, in my experience, or seem different culturally, you know? Mm -hmm. So how some of these things are internalized and then what they actually result in do seem to be different. Um, like, yeah, so even, yeah, especially in like Eastern Bloc, it, it's just like, it, it's, it's, it just seems so different. Like you would never really have these conversations. They, they don't happen anywhere near as much um, because it's just not necessarily like, I won't say it's not necessarily a problem, but it's, in the public eye, it's certainly not like a problem. 
Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where in the world are you referring still to like Western Europe or where? Eastern Europe, for Eastern sure. Europe, okay. Like, like, yeah, Serbia, basically, like former Yugoslavia, Russia, yeah. all of that stuff. Like, and and Czech, like a lot of those places. Like, that's a lot of like a lot of my old friends like that. A lot of like even sort of the culture that I grew up in. That was more it, you know. And so, like, people were just straight called, shooters. Yeah, I was called a fat kid, like as as a as a kid. And thing is, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It made me insecure. It made me feel shitty. But I did something about it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wasn't like, oh, I'm ugly. I'll never get girls. I was like, oh, shit, I'm ugly. I better get really shredded. And so I did. And then I was like, oh, I'm ugly. I better get, like, you know, financially fit. Or yeah. like, oh, I'm ugly. I better get, you know, really good at picking up women or whatever. And, like, I, I would always see it as, like, hey, I do have a deficit, therefore the onus is on me to to do that. And mm-hmm. obviously it's very like much a, a temperamental thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just really interesting. Sometimes I just leave these conversations and I'm like, I have no fucking clue anymore. You come away <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. Where do I stand? Um, <laughs> well, because yeah, it's, 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 it's like, sometimes I just find like social media is just filled with these sound bites, you know? And I, I feel like people just don't do a good enough job at talking about some of the nuance sometimes, which is obviously difficult because of the mediums. You know, it's not like you have three hours to lecture on a subject, but it's it's almost like fat shaming was was really bad and it happened all the time. And then now it is really frowned upon. So it doesn't really happen as explicitly as you're saying, or at least yeah. it's way more rare. But now it's almost on the other end of the spectrum where we have to kind of coddle people. And so that's that's more the thing that I get upset with. It's not that, you know, I'm like, hey, we need to be calling fat people fat. You know, like that, that's not my jam. It's more that I'm just like, hey, that's probably we're going too far in that direction. Yeah. You know, and then when I actually sit down and have conversations like this with people like you, it just seems like we don't disagree on. Well, I mean, I think you're kind of different because I, I feel like I learn a lot from you and you have a lot more of a balanced perspective on some of these things. Than, than maybe I do, but um, let's just say I follow David Goggins and a lot of like the you know, yeah, like body yeah. positive stuff. So I'm kind of in the yeah. middle. Like, yeah. you know, I might I study these things, but like my uh, my yearbook quote was literally adapt and overcome. So I still yeah. <laughs> so I still have that like tie to res- you know I really believe that resiliency is important. I believe in cultivating yeah. hardiness and you know going out and doing things that are difficult. My shirt says, do hard things. I can do hard things. So like, yes, I'm all about compassion. I'm all about self, you know, the balance, but finding that balance between the coach, the inner coach and the inner therapist, like how can we cultivate both? Cause they're both important, right? Like drawing on grit is important, but also being able to like have compassion for yourself and not beat yourself up and not be overly critical is important as well. Right. And I feel like when you overindulge in one or the other, that's imbalanced and that can lead to disordered functioning on both ends of the spectrum. So how can we like it's 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 more boring to be in the middle, but like how can we make that the norm in fitness? Yeah, no, I think I think you brought up some really, really important points, actually. And I guess we'll just kind of go dive deeper into that. So, um, you know, in terms of avoiding those dichotomies, that, that don't necessarily need to exist and sort of coming in and having a little bit more of a balanced approach. Like I can definitely say that for me, that's incredibly important. Like when I 
when I was first diagnosed with PTSD, I was like, oh fuck, okay, like my life actually makes sense now. You know, mm -hmm. I, I get it. I understand that you know how these things are affecting me now, and it it literally made things so much easier. Yeah. That being said, I didn't just chill and say, hey, I'm fucked. You know, like I went and I continued doing things knowing mm -hmm. how this is affecting me, and so like you, I definitely kind of have try and establish that sort of balance. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, but also from an individual standpoint, like being the receiver, how would you go about developing that? Or do you have any sort of strategies to to develop that level of resiliency where maybe you are experiencing some some negative body image issues or whatever, but how do you go about going from there to maybe building up that self-efficacy, you know, maybe changing your body, maybe not, but either way, having that level of resiliency that that those comments either affect you less or maybe you change environments. Like what, what are those sort of strategies that you might think could be beneficial for an individual? Yeah, that's a great question because I do think that right now we're focusing a lot on the environmental factors, which are important. Like how can we change what's influencing people? And like you coming back to the coddling aspect, are we being, you know, are we trying to create too safe a space for people where that's like, they're literally living in a bouncy castle and there's nothing that can like hurt them, right? that's not realistic because like life doesn't function that way and you are going to get hurt and you are going to fall down and there are going to be people that are assholes to you. So how can you build an internal locus of control? And I think I'm a little bit more, I lean more towards that. Um, not that systemic changes aren't important, but like, I, I think that cultivating personal resiliency is probably going to be the best bet for defending yourself against some of the, the detriments of our culture, I guess you could call them. Um, but in terms of like building that resiliency, resilience is something that, and I actually, I did my master's looking at resilience and, and exercise and, and graduate students during COVID. And it's, it does predict wellness over and above, like all of the measures that I used, like mm -hmm. physical activity and, and other things, but it's, the problem with it is that it's, we haven't really determined how to to like build it in a perfect way because it's different for everyone and at, you know there's trait resiliency there's people people argue that some people are just born more inherently resilient and then some will argue well no it's actually built over time like two people might be exposed to the same detrimental event and then one comes out more resilient the other comes out completely a mess so like how do we reconcile that focusing on, you know, coming back to your question, how can we, like, what are the controllable aspects of resiliency? I do believe that seeking out challenge is going to be one of those. I don't think that can be avoided. I think that eudonomic well-being, which is different from hedonic well-being in that it's not focused on maximizing pleasurable experiences, but maximizing meaningful experiences is going to help build resiliency. And that's going to come from doing things that are difficult and that are challenging, but just enough, right? Not that it's going to completely drown you, but enough that it's going to help you build personal resiliency and self-efficacy. And that, at least personally for me, has come from being in an environment, you know, being in a gym environment where people are challenging themselves, but it's fun right? There's like no hard feelings. It's competitive, but it's also fun at the same time. The coaches are awesome. They're helping you build self-efficacy. They're not using stigmatizing language and telling you to work off that cake from this, you know, this, your birthday party or whatever. Like it's all 
coming from a good place, but it's also still holding you to a standard that is up here, right? So trying to find that balance, I if I could give advice to anyone, it would be like, take something that you're interested in and try and become really good at it. Like, cause that is a perfect way to like experience hardship, but in a safe way, in a controllable matter, because you're the one who's steering the ship. And it teaches you that you can, according to my shirt, I can do hard things. <laughs> and um, that can translate over to other aspects of your life, right? If you can prove to yourself that you can become a really great, I'm gonna use the example of athletics because that's our domain, but it doesn't have to be athletics. It can be art, it can be literature, it can be anything you want it to be. Um, but choose something that you're interested in and like dive into it and become really good at it and stumble and get back up and learn from that experience, get a mentor um, that is gonna help you through that. I think that is a great way to build resiliency in a, in a, a way that it's controllable, right? You're not having to face some like, unfortunate circumstance and you will be better off for it. And, and if, and when you do have to face those unfortunate life circumstances that are out of your control, I think you'll be better off and, and better able to handle the situation because you've proven to yourself that you, um, you can do hard things. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And ultimately, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like anything can become a vehicle for personal development, especially if you, achieve a high level like there's a certain there's so many qualities that you learn like so recently um i actually have someone coming on a podcast uh in maybe a, a week or two and we're going to discuss whether you need to be strong to be a good strength coach and like another hot topic <laughs> yeah um and and so this is kind of like exactly the same thing in the sense that as you start climbing the ladder, you learn so many things about yourself. You have to learn dedication. You have to learn, you know, that motivation is great, but it's also not necessarily super reliable. You have to understand, you know, your own transient emotional responses to different things like, oh, I want to quit. I'm so frustrated with this. Well, why do I want to quit? Why is that where my mind's going? You know what I mean? Like you have to really start to know yourself and all of these different things and all of these different adversities that you that you face definitely if you're if you're doing it with intention it can absolutely be a massive catalyst for personal development as well as athletic or other curricular type development and so so i 100% agree with that and i just think that there's certain things that you just can't learn you know like uh, you can't talk your way into into resiliency and and this is kind of one of the issues that i sometimes you have can't read your way into it yeah personal you can't development take a course exactly on it you exactly. can't follow an influencer it really ha you got to get out and get your hands dirty for sure yeah yeah and, and there's definitely something about that you know graded volitional exposure so I'm, I'm a big fan of that as well i think that's a great idea um by the way miriam's coaching and you can sign up for 29 <laughs> no, i'm just joking <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> feed into pitch um yeah. no that that's awesome and so in terms of in terms of getting started on something, well, I guess let's just kind of keep this within the fitness realm. You know, yeah. let's say an individual is um, struggling. I, I've definitely coached people, I'm sure you have as well, who've kind of been mm -hmm. like off and on, off and on. How would you suggest they they start tackling these goals in a way that could hopefully, you know, mitigate or, or at least minimize um, some of these starting and stopping things? Like how can you kind of get someone from being super resistant to actually getting into something and then actually making, you know, um, 
sticking with it long, long term to kind of build yeah. up what you're talking about. That's a tough one. And I don't have the perfect answer, but I can draw from, I can draw from the literature, but I can also more importantly, draw from my experience, my personal experience. I actually just recently, after seven years of being at my gym, have convinced my parents to work out. And they've been consistently, three days a week, have been consistently coming to their CrossFit classes since March. And I am so proud of them and they're doing such a great job, especially my mom. She's never had any experience in exercise, um, always been very intimidated by environment. So for her to be here, it means so much to me. And she's like doing such a great job and um, is really enjoying it. Like everywhere she goes, she's talking about her deadlift and talking about like, you know, her friends are like rolling their eyes, like, oh, surely talking about her CrossFit again. But it's, yeah. it shows that like at any point in your life, at any level, you can do it. It is possible. But I do recognize that for her, there was contextual variables that were very important in like making this happen. And like, of course I was one of them. I'm a trainer. I've been an athlete for, you know, 10 years. So I have, she has my support, but the gym that she's a part of is just such a positive space an inclusive space for anyone at all levels. And it really centers on building self-efficacy, like starting where you are meeting you where you're at and building on those skills. So if I could give anybody a, a piece of advice, if you're finding it difficult to start, you know, look for a community, right? Like talk to people, talk to members at the gym and ask about their experience, but look for a community that centers like building on meeting you where you are and not necessarily just prescribing the same cookie cutter program to anyone. Right. And community is also very important. Social support. I cannot stress that um, more like it's it's such a key for for somebody who is struggling to stay consistent. We have to remember that exercise is not only a new skill and a new habit that you're trying to build, but it's also unpleasurable. <laughs> like It also is very uncomfortable, especially if you are out of, you know, at a place where you're not in shape, like it's can be very painful at some time at some point. So you can find a place where i call it collective suffering everybody's suffering together you can you can moan and groan together you can commiserate together around the workout or that can be such a catalyst and can help so much with people who are struggling to stay consistent with their with their fitness so that would be my number one um is like find a community who can be supportive it might not be your type of gym, right? Like the high performance environment that might not be appropriate for somebody who's just starting out, but finding somewhere like more of a community fitness environment that is going to take you as you are and help you along the way and not necessarily try and thrust you into the fires of a, an intense fitness program right off the bat. I think that's one of the reasons why CrossFit was such a experience with a wide. I think so. That's because yeah. like their whole thing was predicated on community, which yeah to my knowledge, never really happened previously. And now you see all these things popping up where it's like, we've got a great community and it's like, I think CrossFit was- Boutique really gym, yeah, like a small, yeah. knit, tight knit, privatized. Really the, yeah. the, the kind of ones to, to sort of like spearhead that. I'm willing to bet, yeah. Um, and yeah, like I 100% agree, like I've been posting a lot lately, like how important environment is. I like, 
everyone who comes to our gym gets stronger. I don't care if you're brand new, you've never lifted weights, or if you're super seasoned, everyone who comes to the gym gets stronger because the environment there is just like everyone cares so much. And if you're there to work, then people respect you and they will want you to get better. Because if you get better, then you can help them get better. And then there's like friendly competition. It's a reciprocal. Exactly. Effect, yeah. And it's yeah. just like, and so we actually have like a screening process where the owner actually goes through and screens every person before they get a membership. And a lot of the times you're only getting in if um, like by recommendation or something like that, because it's like the culture there is, is so important. And I definitely wouldn't be anywhere near as strong as I'm right now. If I didn't have that, all the guys there, girls there too, would not be as strong as they are. And there are some freaking monsters there. We got the strongest guy in Canada there, 80, 80 something kilos. And he pulled, I think he's like 83 kilos and he pulled 820. Like just fucking monsters. And yeah. he got so many strong women, so many strong guys, a couple 800 pound plus 800 pound deadlifters. Like, and it's just like, but that, that's not an accident, you know? No. Like, and so, so for your CrossFit gyms, for whatever gym that you have, if you can get that community, I a hundred percent agree. Like that's probably one of the most important things you can do for performance, feeling good about yourself, whatever it is. So I think it's, I would argue that it's probably the most important, like, probably. especially for people who are just starting. Um, yeah. And even yeah. someone who's performing at a high level, like yourself, like having that environment of people like what happens, you know, when, when an athlete wants to get better, they usually end up going into an environment that's going to make them better. Right. So that social influence is super important, but talking for like the average person who's just starting, you know, coming into a gym where they can feel comfortable and accepted. And like, that is going to be key. Um, I, in my opinion, to, to helping them stay consistent and actually enjoy the process a little bit more. So yeah, social, social environment is nothing to be gawked at. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so we're, oh, we're a little bit over an hour, actually. Um, <laughs> sorry, this this was a, a very different type of conversation than normally. Normally, I have, like, notes, research, everything. But no, because like, this know. was more something I want to have a conversation about, and I wanted to really learn a bunch from, from you and kind of hear what your perspective was on some of the things that I had to say. And I definitely did and have, have a lot of takeaways. Um, is there any maybe like closing remarks that you want to make before we end off here? Um, I don't know. Nothing that necessarily comes to mind other than, you know, if you're a fitness influencer or just practitioner in general listening to this and you're finding yourself kind of in that middle ground area and you're not really sure what side you take in terms of like where the fitness industry is headed and kind of how it's become really polarized. I would suggest just talking to people <laughs> and realizing that a lot of people are actually in the same boat and we're all just trying to figure it out. And at the end of the day, most people are acting in good faith and they just want to become better coaches and help people. And they're doing whatever they think is the best to do that. And so if you're finding that you've got feelings of animosity towards other people, I recommend just having a conversation with them and you probably find out that you have more in common than, than you think. And I think that's the, the way that we're going to get better as an industry is just connecting more and kind of coming to a better consensus on what our values are. And yeah, so that's, 
that's what I recommend is if you find yourself feeling a little bit, especially on social media, I find when I'm sometimes I'm scrolling, I'm like, this is just awful. I have to remove myself. Like it's just, there's too much, like I get caught up in comment sections. And so just like remove yourself, have a conversation with a real person and you're probably going to feel a lot better about the direction that, uh, that the industry is headed. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Awesome. So where can people find you, Miriam? Um, because you can find me on my Instagram at Miriam Y Marashi. Um, my Google Scholar is Miriam Marashi. You'll see like anything that comes out will be on there in terms of my research. And same with my Twitter, it's Miriam underscore Marashi. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't do a lot of my Instagram. It's more of a personal blog, but if uh, if I do come out with any sort of publications, that will be found on my Twitter or my Google Scholar. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely go make sure you give her a follow. Check out the work she's doing. She's doing some really, really interesting stuff in the industry. And um, if you like the podcast, if you like the episode, consider subscribing and don't be a freeloader. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so bad at marketing, so I'm like, I'm like, ah, I should probably tell them to subscribe. <laughs> don't be a freeloader. I like that. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for jumping on. It's been an awesome chat.